Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. It's time to do it again. It's another studcast with the Tennessee stud Ron Fuller. This is the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud whose family started the profession 100 years ago. So now, let's step back into the ring and back into time as we get wall to wall and treetop tall with the Tennessee stud Ron Fuller in the great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. So, Ron, are the folks flocking into Tennessee for vacation time now? I bet they are. Oh, yeah, man. Wow. Jesus, uh, traffic is pretty pretty brutal, man. Uh, I guess the school's out. And it's uh, time to get all those kids packed into the car and, and uh, out on that first vacation. Yeah, you got local folks who were there getting out of school that live there, and then you got, well, the Great Smoky Mountains, the most visited national park, I think, probably in the world, no doubt. Yeah, I know it's the busiest in America. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, and it probably is. I think we we as Americans take a lot of vacations. <laughs> um, probably more than most countries, we get out there and and see the beauty, and uh, wow, it's pretty. And it's boy, it is a beautiful spot, beautiful part of the world here. Man, anytime I have an opportunity to head that way, I definitely want to be in the automobile on go. All right, so listen, stud. Now every stud cast now it seems like is absolutely loaded with facts about what was happening in both southeast, both southeastern territories back in 1979. So I'm sure most of that information was getting out there via your old saying. I love when you used to say this. Maybe you'll keep saying it occasionally. Telephone, telegraph, telegram, or tell a wrestler. Yeah, well, you know, that was exactly the case, man. Uh, On the third Friday of June, 1979, and that's the week we're going to be talking about today. And uh, wrestlers' telephones across the country, man, were busy with the news of a new wrestling war. They love to talk about that stuff, man. And uh, and this war was so new, uh, no one uh, knew. You know, they didn't really exactly know who's who, who was who, and who's on whose side. So all that was known at this point was what was on the flyer that the Knoxville Five had left on the cars for the fans that attended the last studcast, the Southeastern matches in our last studcast, and the flyer was left on those cars. And uh, basically, they knew that uh, this company was going to be called All-Star Wrestling. Their first show was going to be on Saturday night, June the 16th, 1979, at the Chihuahua Park Amphitheater. 
And really, that's kind of a downer that it had to be for you. Five years put into building, if not the best territory ever, certainly one of the best ever, no doubt. At this point, Ron, did you think that you're starting the second territory a year earlier could have anything to do with what was happening in Knoxville? Well, uh, you know, uh, that's a great question, man. Uh, and I, actually, I questioned everything that could be the cause in trying to figure this out. Southeastern Gulf Coast, when we opened it in March 1978, obviously uh, it lured me away from the Knoxville Territory. I wanted to go down there. I wanted to be there for the start of it. I wanted to handle it myself. And I had spent much of the Gulf Coast first year, uh, almost two years at this point, uh, working there. I'd been down there at this point in time about two years, most of the time, in that Gulf Coast territory. And uh, it had started slowly. That business was really down when we when we purchased it. Uh, but, but it caught on fire, man, in the summer of 1978, and it remained strong uh, right on into the first part of 1979. And uh, that's when my brother, Robert, told me my father and his partner, Jerry Jerry, had asked him to take over the booking for them because they were basically in trouble in the Memphis Territory. Uh, Robert, who was booking Gulf Coast at that time, and I agreed uh, about his leaving. And uh, they, you know, he had an arrangement with them, a financial agreement with them. I told him that would be fine. I thought he needed to make sure that he kept it. And then, and I was also sent uh, many other important Gulf Coast stars down there with him, uh, uh, off to Memphis with him to, to help them out. Just to, you know, make sure that they, that they were going to be successful. So by April of 1979, uh, my new Gulf Coast booker, who was a guy named Louis Tillet, uh, had known him for years. He was a booker in Florida at one point. Uh, he had brought in some really good talent by April of 1979. By June of 1979, he had the Gulf Coast territory rocking, man. Actually, they were drawing more fans than the Tennessee territory. So to answer your question, Dave, uh, you know, and, and I think it's a, basically it's a simple answer. My second territory, I don't think it had anything at all to do with my wrestling war. Uh, you know, my mistake that caused all of it was real simple. And uh, that was that I hired the wrong booker in Knoxville in mm-hmm. September of 1978. Uh, Bob Roof's hiring was the cause of all my problems, man. Mm. And if I only known what he tried to do, in Roy Shire, San Francisco territory, when he got the booking job there a couple of years earlier, wow. I would have never hired him. Uh, I wouldn't even have hired him as a wrestler, much less a booker. So, but without knowing it, uh, I basically threw a rotten apple into <laughs> into uh, my barrel full of great talent that I had developed. Mm-hmm. And nine months later, he rotted four of those apples. <laughs> they, wow. they went with him. Sometimes it will mess up the whole bunch. So that's, it's kind of descriptive, uh, a descriptive way of saying what you believe to be the real cause of the Knoxville war. And I agree. So I, I know we have a lot, lot of ground to cover in this one stud. So we're saddled up. We got the sandwiches ready. The war is starting. Gulf coast is doing well. So where do we ride today? Well, I think we're going to begin, man, with southeastern Knoxville again. Uh, there was just so much happening uh, so fast there. It's going to take a little while to kind of explain everything in this studcast. I think, uh, you know, this studcast, uh, we're going to cover not just southeastern's card, but we're going to cover the new promotions, all-stars card as well. 
We're even going to throw in some Memphis information that's going to be very important to this old Knoxville territory and this war situation. So uh, then we'll discuss the Southeastern TV show, the one promoting the Friday night, June the 15th, 1979 event. The results, we'll talk about the results of those matches. We'll talk about the attendance. Uh, and, uh, and then we're going to uh, return to uh, Chilhowee Park uh, the night uh, after us. We're going to be uh, talking about the All-Star Wrestling card that opened up their first night. So I ride south uh, in the southeastern Gulf Coast, man. By the time we get there and finish with this Knoxville situation, it'll be a real pleasure compared to Knoxville. So business there is still is doing very well, but what we were going to be losing Ox Baker to Japan for almost six weeks. Hulk uh, was soon going to become southeastern champion, uh, and his biggest rival was going to be Austin Idol, who was at this point a very competent heel, a darn good heel. So we will discuss Terry the Hulk Boulders last week with Ox in this one and how important it was for the young Hulk to get these big wins that week. And we'll talk about the card there down in the southeastern Gulf Coast. TV show promoted it, the results of those matches down there, and the attendance in all three of the major cities. And then with time for bidding, uh, we may have another learning tree question. All right, I hope we got time to work that in. All right, so it sounds like we're going to be loaded today on this studcast, so we better get our spurs on and get this ride started. So how about the card why don't we start Chill Howie Park's Amphitheater Friday night, June fifteenth, nineteen seventy nine? Well, that's a that's a great place to do it, man. It had seven matches on that card, and many of them were important returning stars that had not been there for, for quite a while. The opening match was David Schultz, Doctor D, and Eddie Sutherland, Eddie Mansfield. I'm sorry, the, and they were calling themselves at that point the Hollywood Connection. And they were going against Dean Ho and Eddie Sullivan, who was that uh, guy from the hill from down in southeastern Gulf Coast that uh, now is going to be working some in Tennessee as a babyface. So Mr. Fuji was on his second Knoxville show since returning from Memphis full time uh, because of the war. You know, this war was starting. I was starting to call in the talent again to get my people back. Uh, and he was facing another talent from the Gulf Coast Territory, Burhead Jones, who making a very rare appearance up in the Knoxville area. Then the great Tor Tanaka was also returning from Memphis full time mm-hmm. because of the war again. And uh, he was wrestling a newcomer. That uh, This is going to be the first time we'd have a look at him. He's going to become a great wrestler down the road, Chick Donovan. Kevin Sullivan was defending the United States Junior Heavyweight Championship versus the man who had won it many times already. Tony Charles was the third wrestler back on this card, also leaving Memphis for good, and uh, they weren't they weren't going to be going back to Memphis. Uh, the real Southeastern champion Alexis Smirnoff, who was now managed by Gorgeous George Jr., was defending the new belt against the extremely popular Jimmy Golden. The fourth wrestler on this card, not going back to Memphis. Then there were two main events on it, both semifinal matches, where only four wrestlers left in the tournament for the beautiful Bayliner boat. And then the first match, the semifinal match, Crusher Blackwell was going to be meeting Dick Slater and basically a babyface match. They were both babyfaces. They were going to see to which one would be wrestling for the boat the following week. 
And then the main event that night, last match, was me against a Mongolian stalker, managed by Gorgeous George Jr. A couple of more guys that have returned. And uh, we're going to find out who the finalist is going to be for the boat uh, on the next week. Uh, and then you can add uh, both the Mongolian stalker and Gorgeous George Jr., to that group that's coming out of Memphis that's not going to be returning. Hmm. So that made a total of six new recognizable and important stars added to the Knoxville fired and the crews because of the upcoming war. Hmm. All right. So uh, how and why was this happening? Well, basically there were two reasons, Dave. Uh, this was the start of the Knoxville war, obviously, and a war for survival of the territory. This is basically what it was. Uh, are we going to be able to win this, keep the Knoxville territory in one piece? So what's going to happen here? And uh, all these guys, these six guys that I just talked about, they were veterans, man. They were coming home to the territory they loved. And every one of these guys was willing to, uh, not just to come home, but willing for the fight to, to win and win the battle for the territory. And then the second reason was because their extremely successful run in the Memphis territory was over. The Memphis owners had decided to abruptly change the financial deal that was made at the very beginning when Rob went to book for them. We started sending them talent. They decided to change that deal uh, before, uh, you know, the first uh, Southeastern wrestler. Uh, even left for Memphis, the deal was made. So all the stars that had been sent there, including the six that were on this next card, one we just talked about, this card, uh, like their book of my brother Robert, they uprooted their families. They left the Southeastern Territories because they were asked to by me to help rebuild the Memphis Territory. So when the cities there, they were all dead. Uh, you know, when they got there, uh, they started selling out. By the time we're in uh, June, late May of 1979, and uh, and then they found out, uh, you know, that their payoffs were going to be cut significantly as the owners, uh, you know, wanted to make a bigger profit for themselves. Basically, that's all there was to it. And uh, so the fact that my father and Jerry Jarrett's territory, because of the great talent we had sitting there, uh, they began to, you know, to see the biggest houses that they had seen in years in that territory. And they got, got just being blunt about it, they got greedy. So they chose to break the deal that they had with Rob and I. They insisted, you know, we had insisted when they went there that they were going to pay 28% of the gross houses to the wrestlers and that Rob was going to do the payoffs to make sure that happened. And, uh, then they decided that they no, they didn't want to do that anymore. They wanted to cut that to 22% or 28. They fired Rob as a booker because Rob said, no, I'm not going to do it. You know, I mean, it's not the deal. We built your territory back, and now you don't want to pay them anymore. Wow. So <laughs> crazy, huh, Dave? Uh, I, I don't know. That uh, It doesn't sound real. I mean, I remember in the early part of 1979, the – that, that that you talking about their towns were dead six months later when they started selling out they wanted to change it all huh for a measly extra six percent of the money well i think that was a stupid decision on their part man but you know in this case there's a war starting in my territory mm-hmm. and it it seemed like a blessing from the good lord to me man you know uh so I was in the first week of the only wrestling war I, I ever experienced in my time in wrestling. And I get these six big name wrestlers that come home for good. 
Hmm. You know, and there's going to be more coming to follow them, too. All right. As you said earlier, there really was a lot going on in southeastern Knoxville. So how about the TV show to promote the card that we talked about earlier? Well, this TV show is going to be a dramatic overnight change for the fans. They're used to seeing the same guys. And all of a sudden, this television is like, wow. It was a reintroduction of faces from the past. Some of them were extremely popular and some not so popular, the heels, you know. But opening the show was a great example. It had Alexis Smirnoff and Gorgeous George Jr., who was now Smirnoff's manager. And uh, Gorgeous George Jr., they had not seen on that TV in almost a year. Uh, they opened up uh, with less at the set. They watched a very short, less than 30-second video from two weeks earlier when Boris Malenko was managing the Southeastern champion, Smirnoff, in a match against Ronnie Garvin, in which uh, Dick Slater was in Garvin's corner. But uh Malenko, because this war was coming up, uh, he actually, he's he's supposed to be managing Smirnoff, but he actually causes Smirnoff to win. He holds his legs down while Ronnie Garvin has him pinned in his corner. And, uh, you know, and Ronnie ends up getting the three counts. He leaves the ring and he takes our Southeastern belt with him. So Gigi told us, you know, uh, that he was now the new manager for Alexis Smirnoff, and he had already made a complaint to the Southeastern Board of Directors because nothing like that had ever happened. There's a guy that's managing one guy, and then he causes him to lose on purpose. And uh, Gigi said he had demanded from the Board of Directors that a decision be reversed, that this new Russian protege of his be awarded uh, a brand new southeastern belt, not even the one that was the old belt. He, he had to have a new belt. And, uh, so, you know, and, and he said immediately. And so Les said, well, uh, you know, George, Georgia, he goes, uh, we actually, uh, they, they agree with you that, uh, you know, it was not a proper decision. And he goes, uh, we've got a new southeastern belt and they brought out the new southeastern belt they handed it to gg <laughs> he put it around the waist of smirnoff uh, and boy did the studio get mad about that studio crowd they didn't like it but uh there was a brand new southeastern belt around smirnoff's waist so both men stayed at the set with Liz and uh it's smirnoff's first southeastern title opponent it was uh Yes, and he had just received the belt, and he's already got it defended. You know, and uh, G.D. didn't like that. He said, wait a minute now, wait. He, he just got this belt, and uh, why is it that he has to defend against, and who is it? And about that time, Jimmy Golden popped out of the dressing room. <laughs> and, uh, wow, as soon as he walked into the studio, they popped. They had never – it had been it had been a long time since they had seen, seen Jimmy. So, you know, wow, this program started off with a bunch of new people again. So the next guest at the set hadn't been seen in the Tennessee Territory for almost two years. And uh, that was Tony Charles. And wow, did he get a greeting from the fans, you know. And uh, and, and then he, Tony watched the new United States junior champion, Kevin Sullivan, uh, who was in the second TV match. Uh, who wore that U.S. belt uh, out to the, out to his mat, out to the ring, and uh, Kevin got himself a victory. And then uh, Charles uh, Charles uh, Charles had worn that belt many times before, and he was getting another shot at it the next Friday night. 
So the fans, you know, in the early part of this show, they're seeing a lot of new people again. Then the personality profile featured uh, four men that was left in the Bayliner Boat Tournament. That was Dick Slater, who was going to be wrestling against Crusher Blackwell the next Friday in one of those two semifinals. And I was going to be wrestling the Mongolian Stomper in the other. Uh, and the Stomper hadn't been seen on the Knoxville TV in almost a year. Uh, Slater, Blackwell, and I, we sat down with Les at the set in the nice, comfy chairs and uh, interviewed from those chairs the Mongolian Stomper with his manager, Gorgeous George Jr., interviewed from Studio B. Then the third TV match was another homecoming of sorts. Uh, Mr. Fuji, who had been in Knoxville except for the last month, he'd only been over in Memphis for, for basically a month. He, can't, he was coming back. And along with him came Tor Tanaka, man, who was a fan favorite in that part of the country. Tor hadn't been seen there in months. So they had to tag match as partners. It was their first time together on the Southeastern TV show. And wow, they, they looked unbeatable. They, they were a phenomenal team. Then the last TV match, I'm sure, brought back bad memories. More memories, but bad memories for the studio audience, uh, as well as the people I'm sure watching at home. The Mongolian Stomper came out on the last match, managed by gorgeous George Jr., and he stomped his way to another victory. <laughs> now, that's how you do a TV show right there. That's great TV. All six, all six of the returning stars were on this show, so I doubt many fans missed the Knoxville Five. So before we get into the results of the card, that this TV promoted, by the way, I got another question to ask. So did you ever get all your wrestlers together at this point, any point before maybe something had happened to talk to them about what to expect and how you wanted them to deal with all of this upcoming war stuff? That's one of your best questions yet, Dave, you know, um, mm. uh, yeah. And, and yeah, I did, man. I'd gotten the both dressing rooms together. On the night of the last card, when those five wrestlers showed up at the building, but none of them wrestled, you know, to talk a little bit about what was happening. But uh, this time, it was even more important. We kind of knew by this point, after seeing the flyers on the cars in the parking lot afterwards, what was going on. So on this night, June 15, 1979, I had no idea what to expect. I notified everybody in the company a couple of days earlier, no matter what their position they held, other than being a ticket seller, of course, they didn't need to be involved in this, to be at the main dressing room of the big amphitheater. We were wrestling in Chihuahua Park's amphitheater mm -hmm. for one hour prior to bell time. Uh, so I would talk to everybody. And, uh, and it was a room full of people, right? And they were obviously extremely interested. This is their livelihood, too. Uh, so, uh, I started the discussion basically with my experiences in the Atlanta war that had started in 1972 and I'd been a part of it. I had been in there and wrestled on a lot of cards from them. That war didn't win, didn't end, end until 1974. So that war went on for at least two years. And I explained how both of the competing companies in that war didn't interfere in any way with the other company how that uh, they both ran in the municipal auditorium in downtown Atlanta on back-to-back -back nights. The NWA 
group ran on Friday night and Gunkel's company ran on Saturday night. Uh, that they ran their TV shows on the same TV station that Ted, Ted Turner on. And again, the shows were back-to-back. The TV show of the NWA was at 6 o'clock, and the Gunkel TV show was at 7. So it was probably uh, – and then I explained to them, uh, guys, that, uh, you know, it was probably one of the one of the most dignified wrestling wars in history. And because of the way it was handled by both companies, both companies not interfering with each other. Uh, they both were successful during the course of the war. In fact, they sold out the building every Friday night for the NWA, and then Saturday night, Gunkel's group would sell out the building. Uh, and when that war was over, the NWA wrestling business that survived there, eventually the NWA business won the war. But uh, for the maybe the first time ever after a wrestling war, uh, both companies had been extremely successful. And then when uh, they uh, finished the war, uh, NWA became even better, more powerful. Uh, wrestling was even more solid after the war than it was before the war. And that was truly, truly a remarkable event. So I told them that after last week, and the way that, uh, you know, all five of the wrestlers showed up at our matches, you know, I talked very candidly with everybody, you know, how the guys sat in the crowd and they made themselves visible. And then uh, they put the flyers on the customers' cars after the event was over. You know, I said, it appears, man, that we're not going to have that kind of war here. It looks like our war is, uh, you know, not. we're not going to be lucky enough to have the war that Atlanta had. I said, obviously, uh, I had no control over the other guys, the company, and what they did or, or what they were going to do even. And, uh, you know, and, and I told him, you know, like, like tonight, I said, uh, and all future nights, uh, we really, guys, we got to be ready for anything. I have no idea what to expect. And I told him, however, that we, on our behalf, were going to be in total control of what we were going to do. I said, we weren't going to do anything to those guys at all. We were going to ignore them as if they didn't even exist, that they weren't even there, didn't even have any matches. And, uh, and I told guys, you know, I said, I'm not going to tolerate anybody having any problems, much less fights with these guys. No matter how much I said, you can expect they want to. They'll want it because they'll want that bad publicity for us. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, we're going to take the high road. And anyone that had a problem with them and uh, acted upon it, uh, you're going to get an instant notice. So I'm not going to put up with it. I mean, and it, I said, especially if it ends up in the newspaper or on TV, you're gone that that day. And uh, and I and I basically said, you know, guys, the best option here for all of us is to just stay totally clear of these guys, mm-hmm. leave them alone totally. And uh, and I said the only thing uh, that we would do to them is if they were to enter this park right here or the Coliseum uh, come into uh, our building and come into our ring. And I said, boys, if that happens, then we're going to take care of business as necessary. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, my last words, my last words to him is I want to handle all of it, all of this whole matter with dignity. Uh, I want us to mind our own business and ultimately we'll win the war if we do that. Wow. I mean, I don't think you could have said that any better. That was that's modern day guerrilla warfare versus 
1979. So, I mean, it still applies today and you, you had it, you had it right on track in 1979. All right. So speaking of winning, who won those Southeastern matches that night before they opened up? Well, the Hollywood connection, uh, Dr. D. Schultz and Mansfield beat Dean Ho and Eddie Sullivan. Mr. Fuji took care of Burrhead Jones. Uh, Tor Tanaka got the win over Chick Donovan. Uh, then in the United States Junior title match, Kevin Sullivan got a win over Tony Charles. But for the first time, Kevin had always been a babyface. Uh, Tony Charles was his toughest opponent so far for his U.S. junior title. He won the match. He put his foot on the ropes to, to beat Tony Charles. And I think the fans didn't know really how to take that. You know, they were like, wow, he won, but what? He cheated, right? So uh, so then Alexis Smirnoff <laughs> managed, was managed by Gorgeous George Jr. Uh, had to get his manager involved to keep from losing. Uh, and he had to get disqualified to save his belt from Jimmy Golden. Jimmy was at the top of his game, man, and uh, they loved him, man. They were so glad to see him back. Then Crusher Blackwell and Dick Slater wrestled, uh, and I mean they wrestled. There was not a punch thrown to a great 30-minute time limit drop. Uh, and uh, and uh, that was the first of the semifinal matches that ended up in a draw. Mongolian Stomper, managed by Gigi, won his match over me. Wow. All right. So if Slater and Blackwell ended in a draw and Stomper won, who was in the finals the next week for the boat? Well, Dave, uh, you know, uh, a good booker has to <laughs> sometimes things go, go awry. <laughs> you know, uh, all three of those guys were going to be in it. It wow. was going to be a first ever round robin finals. The Stomper, Slater, and Blackwell were all three going to be against each other. Wow. Now, the way we're going to do it is a hat was going to be brought out with all three of their names in it. It would be brought to the ring. The first guy, the, everybody got to pick a name out of the hat. The first one that took picked his own name out of the hat, he got to pick the first guy he was going to wrestle, his first opponent. Huh. And the winner of that match then wrestled against the third man who was waiting on the apron in the corner of the ring. Mm -hmm. And that process was going to continue until one man was able to beat both of the opponents back to back. And in other words, the first man to win two straight matches won the boat. Well, that's a cool idea. I don't think I've seen it done that or at that time for sure. Seen it done that way. That I mean, that could last a while or end after just two matches. So how did you come up with, with that stuff? Well, you know, wrestlers, especially bookers, man, uh, had a strange mind. <laughs> and, uh, and I guess, man, you know, I got three guys here. What are they going to do? And uh, that seemed like a great idea to do it that way. Uh, and uh, that was the sad part of the night, man. Uh, there was a war going on now. And yeah, uh, many yeah. fans in those days, uh, you know, it, it was it was we had to do some strange things. All right, so were you were you happy with attendance? How'd you feel about that on, on this this return kind of? Well, man, that was that was the worst part of the night. Uh, you know, obviously, I knew that it was not going to remain big, huge crowd. Uh, you've got another company that's going to be there the next night with some matches. So uh, you know, with the war going on, and uh, you know, the fans fans, you know, didn't have a, enough money. A lot of them to. Uh, to go to both those matches. 
So you knew that they were going to pick and choose which match they were going to go to. Yeah. So, uh, and that's basically what happened. Uh, I figured this type of card, if we hadn't had a war, uh, we'd probably had four four to 5,000 people there in the amphitheater. Hmm. Pretty night it was, too. Uh, We end up with only 2,800 people. Wow, you're kidding. I can't believe it was that small. After, I mean, because you basically owned the territory for how many years? So you said you said you would give us their all-star card for the next night. So who was on it and what was their attendance? How did they do versus what you put up? Well, they had a lot fewer matches. They had four matches. They had Ron and Don Wright. Ron and his brother, who had not wrestled in a long time. Ron and Don Wright wrestled against a guy called Chief Black Eagle, who I'd never heard of, and Devoy Brunson, who was a basically a job guy for us for many, many years. Uh, every once in a while, I got to wrestle on TV. Uh, then Bob Roop wrestled against a guy named Joe Sims that I had never heard of. Then they had a six-man tag with the great Malenko, and he had two unknown assassins as his partner. It was not Jody Hamilton, I'll tell you that, or anybody that I knew, uh, you know, uh, any of the guys that we had had, the two assassins down in the southeastern Gulf Coast. It was just two guys. Everybody could be an assassin, basically. If you had a black mask and a black outfit, <laughs> you know. So, so it was great Malenko and two assassins. Uh, against, uh, they advertised Mr. Wrestling number two, but it was not Mr. Wrestling two. I mean, he was a huge star in Atlanta. Uh, I, I was I was lucky to get him for some shows, much less them get him. Uh, so it was the the Malenko and the two assassins against Mr. Wrestling two, a guy called Hoot Gibson, and uh, Terry Gibbs, who was one of the former Southeastern wrestlers. Mm-hmm. And he had last minute decided to go with those guys. So uh, he was on the card there too. Their main event was for our Southeastern belt. It wasn't even their belt. And uh, it was the same one that Ronnie Garvin had left the ring with after Malenko held down Smirnoff's leg a couple of weeks earlier in the Coliseum. Uh, and uh, so Garvin was going to be defending our belt against the Bob Ward Jr., and, uh, you know, I got to thinking about it. That had to probably be maybe the 10th or 20th time those two guys had wrestled for Southeastern against each other. So I didn't have actual access to to their attendance. You know, I, I had no way of knowing exactly what they drew. Obviously, I knew what was yeah. in there when, when it was us and them having the matches. But I knew. But I had a friend uh, that I really trusted. Uh, that went to both these shows, and uh, and he said that uh, he he had been to the show that our night before, and then he was at their show the next night, and he said the crowd uh, for their first night was uh, was about one third as large as what we had. So if we had about twenty eight hundred, they probably had maybe a thousand fans. Mm. All right, I gotta say this is all so fascinating. So, but before we take our break. Was there anything else that happened on this week that was unexpected leading up to any of this? Oh, yeah, man. There certainly was, Dave. I'm glad you asked this one, too, man. This is a, 
there was a weekly small piece in the in the Knoxville newspaper in the sports section every week it ran and uh, and it was they ran it right next to the ads that, for our wrestling matches you know and it and it was a little uh, it was a little uh, uh, a forum for readers that you know that that uh, wanted to uh, write a little something and get get something in the paper it was called a uh, writer wrong but not, but it wasn't the word right R I G H T. It was <laughs> W R I T. It was a nice little play on words, you know, right or wrong. And uh, you could write that whatever you wanted to talk about and say anything basically that you wanted to. And it happened to be placed right next to our ads every Friday. So I always looked every Friday at the paper naturally. I had spent the money for the paper advertising. I wanted to see what the ad looked like. And then I always glanced over at this little right or wrong uh, article there, uh, the subject, see kind of what they were talking to, whoever. Uh, and uh, there had never been anything in it. Been there five years. There's never been anything in that right or wrong uh, little article mm-hmm. about wrestling in all those years right. that, since I had been there. So, uh, so on this day, June fifteenth, nineteen seventy nine, the night that we're wrestling out there, uh, they're going to be there the next night. The subject was wrestling. I was like, "Geez, huh. I can't believe this!" Right out of nowhere, right? And uh, he was a fan. And uh, and, they, and th- this fan had obviously had been instructed by their group to send this letter in, you know. Uh, and they had a lot of friends. They had been there for a lot of years wrestling, uh, Garvin especially, you know. And uh, so, you know, and, and I had made uh, never made it public uh, since my start in Southeastern that I had anything to do with the ownership of the company. Because, as you can imagine, you know, it would have been extremely awkward to be the wrestler, and then you own the company, too. Right. So, uh, so that was all, and, and that wasn't unusual. That was the case in so many territories because so many wrestlers owned wrestling companies. Right. And they didn't want it to, to, to get out that they did. You know, it was kind of like the kiss of death when that happened, you know, uh, for some information like that to become public. And, uh, yeah. and definitely no fan out there had any idea, you know, about, uh, what was going on, you know, and on this morning, <laughs> I look over there and there it was. And the news from the fan was that I was not only the owner of Southeastern wrestling, <laughs> but I was in control of who won and lost the matches and what the wrestlers got paid. So I instantly knew this didn't come from, it could have only come from one source, right? <laughs> you got to be kidding, Stud. Come on. on the, <laughs> I wish I was, man. On the night of your matches and one day before they have their first event, an article like that appears in the newspaper. I mean, I don't think they could have done anything any worse than that. So that was something even detrimental to, to their own business that they were trying to start. Dude, I called you dude. Stud, you just dropped a bomb on us right there. That's crazy. All right, so I'm sure there's no wrestling podcast anywhere in the world that's going to give fans this kind of look behind the kayfabe curtain, and we've definitely pulled it back today. So, wow, this is crazy. All right, what a way to end the first segment on this studcast. It's time for our break. We'll do that when we return We'll be be down in the southeastern Gulf Coast territory 
where hopefully, and I'm pretty sure the subject matter and the wrestlers will be completely different. We'll do that. This Studcast continues in a moment. All right, Studcast fans, Ron has discovered your sweet spot on his YouTube Southeastern Rewind channel. His short rides with the stud have become the most popular edition ever. If you've not subscribed to YouTube Southeastern Rewind for free, free, and we mean free, classic short videos from Gulf Coast, Southeastern, Continental, and USA TV shows. You better do it today. Subscribe now. They are seen nowhere else on YouTube, and two or three new ones are added each week. It's the best deal in wrestling. Subscribe today and ride into wrestling history with The Stud on YouTube and Southeastern Rewind. All right, Studcast fans, welcome back. Another Studcast with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Hey, y'all, I'm David Summers. Thanks for being here with us. Here we go. And after that bomb you dropped on us a couple of minutes ago, Stud, the rest of this Studcast should be a little easier to hear. We're back down south, and things were certainly a lot more calm than up north in the Knoxville area. So why don't we start the ride here with the card for Montgomery, Mobile, and Dothan, all in the same week as the one we just discussed in Tennessee. So how about the card for June 11th in Montgomery, June 13th in Mobile, and then June 15th, all 1979 in Dothan, Alabama? Well, it opened uh, with, man, the very popular Ricky Fields uh, against the Inferno. Uh, the last week we had two Infernos, uh, only one on this card. Uh, Terry Latham faced off against Herb Calvert. In the second match on the card, Ron Slanker, who had just lost his southeastern belt, was going up against the the new great heel man in the southeastern Gulf Coast territory, Austin Idol. The new southeastern champion that had beaten Slinker for the belt, managed by Billy Spears, was defending against the always popular wrestling pro. Uh, in a special six-man tag, world-famous Bobo Brazil. And the Dargon twins were facing the Samoans and Eddie Sullivan, managed by mm -hmm. Billy Spears. Wow. Main event was a Texas death match with a special stipulation. If the Hulk won the match in less than 15 minutes, he'd get five minutes alone with Billy Spears. <laughs> so it was Terry the Hulk Boulder against the Hawks Baker. And if he could beat Baker in 15 minutes, he got five minutes with Spears. Wow. All right. That's a great card. A Southeastern title match. One of the most famous stars in the world, Bobo Brazil, no less, making his debut. And a Texas death match where Billy Spears could end up in the ring alone with the Hulk. So what about the TV that set this whole thing up? Well, it opened, man, uh, with the wild ending of the last TV match from the week before, where almost every wrestler in the building, man, ended up in the ring. Wow, it was crazy. And uh, so the Hulk was at the set, and he watched this piece. Uh, it was probably about the last minute, minute and a half of that last, uh, the last match on the last TV show. He sat there and watched it with Charlie. And then after the video, Hulk went to the ring. He, was, he had the first match. He obviously got himself another strong win. He used his bear hug. Uh, then it was Austin Idol in the second match. But uh, Austin went to the set with Charlie Platt before the match started. And uh, Charlie informed him that, you know, basically, hey, well, you're, you're not scheduled to be here at the set with me, and uh, you're supposed to be in the ring. You need to go on to the ring. You know, we asked him basically to leave and, and go to the ring. 
So I got extremely upset about it, and <laughs> and he he didn't he didn't leave. Obviously, he tore into Charlie Man. <laughs> he said, you know, he told Charlie that uh that he was right. He said he said you said I wasn't supposed to be at the set, and uh, he said uh, I'm also not supposed to ever win the Southeastern Championship either, Emma. He said because you know, it, it, but it's going to happen. He said it doesn't <laughs> make any difference. He said it don't make any difference whether Charlie Platt or whether the Georgia Cracker President Jimmy Carter, who lives in the next <laughs> state over there, or the big man above pointing up at the sky. He goes well, whatever. It doesn't make a difference what any of you want. He said it was still going to happen, and very soon. And then uh, he went to a ring, man. He had a roar of booze from the studio crowd. He cranked everybody up. I'm sure he cranked Charlie up too, you know. And uh, so Charlie told me later that I got the most heat yet after that tirade. And, and then he said he got even more heat because he went in the ring. He won the match with the figure four leg lock, and then he refused to let go of the hold. And referee Brock, Larry Brock, was the referee, had mm-hmm. finally to force him to untie his legs. And uh, then he just got up and he stood over the guy that was laying there holding his legs and, and uh, you know, basically crying. <laughs> and uh, he stood there and laughed when they carried him out of the ring. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> I look at him a good little second match. Uh, uh, he took care of that that part of the card for right. sure. I'll say. All right. So, how about the personality profile, Stud? Well, Louis picked the perfect guy for that man, and and you didn't get a opportunity to do a personality profile with someone like him very often. Not this guy. Uh, he brought Bobo Brazil on there with Charlie, and he was on live with Charlie, right sitting in next to the bleachers with the fans there. And uh, I've been friends with Bobo Brazil since 1973, uh, the year we both spent a lot of time working in St. Louis. Basically, every other Friday night when St. Louis ran, I could d- depend that Bobo would be somewhere on that card. And uh, we spent a lot of time together, staying in the same hotel uh uh, became really close friends. And we kept in touch long after that 1973 year. And he always said, uh, you know, Ron, I tell you, you know, I, we talked about, it. I said, you know, I want to have my own territory, Bobo, someday. He said, Ron, I'll come and wrestle for you, man. You ever get your own territory, I'll come and wrestle for you. So here he was. He kept his word. And uh, wow, he was an extremely rare talent. And he was recognized all over the world. And maybe as the best wrestler ever, certainly he was one of them, you know, uh, and Bobo had a vibrant personality, man, just as much as he had the ability he had as a wrestler. Uh, he was such an outgoing person. So uh, it was what Les and I basically had designed these personality profiles for way, way back when we decided on format for the Southeastern show. Uh, you know, this was a rare opportunity for fans to get to know a huge star in about five minutes. You know, these these posts, these things last about five minutes usually. So uh, Bobo was so good. He, he, he engaged the fans on the bleachers near him, you know. Uh, and, you know, he was a 
he and Charlie, uh, he had everybody laughing. He told a couple of quick little stories about his worldwide wrestling experience. And he put Southeastern wrestling on, <laughs> saying that it was one of the best places on earth to wrestle. And then he went in the ring with these Dargon twins, hmm. uh, who certainly weren't in his category, man. Uh, they were going to be his partners for this entire week when, in these six-man tags. Hmm. Uh, you know, and uh, Charlie said, boy, uh, in that uh, – Bobo tore the studio up, man. uh, He said he'd never seen. He said he saw instantly what Bobo was all about. He was like, wow, Ron, he had those people going nuts. He said said that when they tagged out to the Dargon twins, he said the house just, they all shut up until Bobo got tagged. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Bobo was really, he was a phenomenal guy, a phenomenal athlete, a phenomenal wrestler. And, uh, wow, I was so lucky to get him, to have him come down. Uh, the only part that disappointed me is I was up north, and I was I didn't even get to see him in the entire week. But he was there nonetheless. What would you really put your thumb on about Bobo? Was it obviously we know he knew he, he was so exciting around the fans, loved the fans, loved being on the microphone and talking to to folks and making sure that they were going to fill the seats. But what what was it about his wrestling ability? Was it so many years of experience or just the excellence that that he which he executed what what was it about his wrestling well, skills he, he was he was just phenomenal i mean he he was a tremendous wrestler but uh he was a dancer wow i think that was what was gimmick i mean you know he would he would do a really cute move and then he would dance for two minutes and, <laughs> and, you know <laughs> so he, he, it was it was something he was totally different than, than yeah. anybody else. It's just my luck. And, uh, that was what really made him great. Yeah, nobody yeah. was a bobo. Just my luck. I missed that one. He was definitely an icon of the sport, no doubt about it. So, all right, how about the last match on that TV? Well, the big man himself, man, that had opened the show, the Hulk, man, uh, was in the last match, and he put his bear hug on another opponent and had the guy screaming. Just like he had to, every week he'd been on TV. Everybody, nobody was going to get out of that bear hug. And uh, th- he had this guy screaming. And uh, and just as the week before, it all started the week before, he had a bear hug on his opponent. And the Baker and Billy Spears came. And then the ring filled up with people. Well, uh, here, as soon as the Hulk put that, uh, the squeeze on, the, on his opponent, here came Ox and Billy Spears charged into the ring. But this time the Hulk was ready for him. <laughs> they didn't catch him from behind. So he dropped the guy that he had who had already give up. And uh, he just grabbed Ox Baker who was running, charging him and grabbed him by the back of the head and just kept him running, threw him over the top rope out on the floor. And uh, and then he cut, He got Billy Spears trapped into the corner, man. Cut. Billy tried to get out of the ring and cut off his escape route. And then he slowly trapped him in the corner, man. The studio was going wild. And uh, so Spears, you know, got down on both knees. And he was praying to mama. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, then, uh, you know, and, uh, when Hug reached for him, uh, Hawks Baker back in the ring, along came the gladiator, Eddie Sullivan. Some of Spears' truth 
Mm-hmm. Stormed the rain and then uh, Hulk kind of fought those guys off, but he never really got Spears. Never mm-hmm. got to head, put his hands on Billy Spears. Yeah. So uh, Hulk finished off the live interview that this uh, with a live interview that went into every market. We didn't do that very often, but it was going to be it was going to be doing the same match in all three of the t- cities. And uh, he said he had uh, the match he wanted. Uh, this was Ox Baker. This was a Texas death match. He said, I got 15 minutes to get Hawks Baker in my bear hug and hurt him so bad that when I turn him loose and it's my five minutes with the weasel, Billy Spears, he goes, Hawks uh, Baker ain't going to be able to get up to help you. You know, and uh, then he said, that, you know, and then he said, I'm going to do something that somebody should have done to Billy Spears many, many years ago. He said, I'm going to squeeze the life out of Billy Spears. He goes, I want to end that worthless career of his. You know, Charlie said the roof was coming off the building. He had him popping and popping and popping. He was beginning to become the Hulk. He was beginning to to learn a little bit about how to how to make a great interview. Mm-hmm. So it really sounds like just a great TV show as the one in Knoxville. So what happened in the big arenas that next week? Well, Ricky Fields won his match over the Inferno, who was Curtis Smith, uh, one of the one of the original great Infernos. Uh, Tony Latham uh, beat uh, Herb Calvert. Uh, Ron Slinker got beat by the undefeated Austin Idol, who had not lost a match since he came to Southeastern. Uh, the Gladiator, managed by Billy Spears, retained his newly won Southeastern belt over the wrestling pro. Uh, Gladiator got took care of the pro. Then in the Bobo Brazil and Argonne Twins, they lost to the Samoans and Eddie Sullivan, managed by Billy Spears. But Louis said Bobo, he said, Ron, he said, they might have lost the match, you know, he goes, but Bobo was a winner every night. He said, those buildings were going crazy. <laughs> he said, those fans absolutely loved him. You know, and he said, and he said, he, he looked so good. He said, they made the our Dargon twins look so bad. He goes, I, I just, he said, I lost interest in them. He said, it was like, you know, he said, he said, uh, he said I was so disappointed with him, you know, that, that I just basically gave up on him because he said it was just like the TV match when they tagged in Bobo, the building stood up. When they tagged him, then they sat down, you know, and he said, I gave him a two week notice. And he said, I also bought, he said, Ron, also, and I hate to tell you this, he said, but I also gave Bobo uh, all my thanks and an extra $500 for the week. Wow. And I thanked him. I said, that's a great idea, William. And I know yeah. he heard, you yeah. know, and he said, oh, my God. He said, I had never seen, he told me, he said, Ron, I had never seen Bobo work in my career. And he said, uh, and until until you, you sent him down here. And he said, you know, he said, any booker in the world, and he said, I could see any booker in the world and uh, any territory in the world could get this guy over and he would make you so much money. He said he was a phenomenon. Wow. So the main event was just about uh, what the Hulk needed, man. Just about everything the Hulk needed back, basically. He got a good solid win over a big name star, Ox. Uh, and it couldn't happen, and it wouldn't have happened if Ox hadn't been leaving for Japan. You couldn't do that kind of job if you were going to be there the week after that. So, you know, I, Ox is gone for five, five weeks. Uh, so, and we did the same finish everywhere uh, because the major cities were so far apart. Uh, 
We uh, didn't have to worry about the fans driving from one city to another because they probably had already seen this match in their hometown. Uh, but we did change it in Mobile. We changed the finish in Mobile because we wanted to build towards something else. So the finish in Mobile was different than in the other two cities. It, and it uh, and also uh, it was different uh, than anybody had expected, man. It was a great finish. Uh, Hulk beat Ox in the Texas death match in less than 15 minutes. And uh, then he left him laying just like he said he was going to do in his interview out there on the floor. And then he he see he, he got his five minutes with uh, Spears, but Spears ran during four minutes of the five minutes in outside the ring, back in, back out, back in. Uh, he never got to touch him until about the last, with about one minute left, and about a minute left on the match, uh, he got his got Billy Spears in the barrel. Well, you can imagine what the building did. They went absolutely nuts. And then uh, the Samoans headed for the ring. Obviously, they're watching. And, you know, they know their guy, their manager's up there. They, they better be ready to help him. So uh, they headed to the ring to help Billy. But uh, Ricky Fields and Terry Latham, those boys that had wrestled against those Samoans so many times in a row, they were expecting it too. And they headed for the ring about the same time. All four of those guys, they got into a fight outside on the floor. Then Hulk uh, finally had Spears in his bear hug. And uh, and then along came Austin Allen, who had not had any interference of any kind uh, up to this point. He hit the ring and then went straight to Hulk. Uh, he, hit, he busted him, man. He, he hit him uh, with something that he had on his fist. Uh, Hulk was bleeding. It was one of the first times the fans had seen Hulk bleed, as a matter of fact. Then Eddie Sullivan came along about the same period, about the same time. But instead of going after after uh, the Hulk, which he didn't need to, Idle was working on the Hulk. Uh, Spears went after Larry Brock, the, the referee. You know, Larry got to stop him, and he just wow. he so he popped Larry, he busted Larry open, and then he pile dropped him, and uh, he left him laying there. So Billy been in the bear hug for less than a minute. You know, he was laying there. He, I'm sure he thought he was dead. And he crawled out to the edge of the ring and his tag champions jerked him out and Sullivan too. Then Austin Idol went trailing along behind the group to get back to the dressing room. Pretty hard to get back to the dressing room with that type of thing in Mobile. The next week's card, man, is going to be headlined by Idol against the Hulk. Uh, the Samoans versus Fields and Latham in the title match. <laughs> and then we're going to have a very unusual match uh, as referee Larry Brock is going to find himself a partner, mm -hmm. take on Sullivan and Spears. <laughs> and his partner, Dave, is going to be a four-legged one. He's oh, going to have as a partner, Ginger the Wrestling Bear. <laughs> Are you kidding, Stud? You're at it again. you got to be kidding. Larry Brock is going to partner with a bear on our next studcast. He certainly is, man. <laughs> you know. And the odd thing about that is this bear had the same name as my grandfather Roy's bear, Ginger. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, what I and, thought. Yeah. And, you know, Ginger, man, Roy's bear had traveled with Roy uh, all over North America, man, from 1940. Uh, started. She started in 1940 and uh, wrestled on into the 1950s, man. Wow. So, uh, we're going to have a bear. Yeah, we're going to have a bear, and, and he's going to be partnered with Larry Brock, of all people. <laughs>
All right, I'll tell you what, Stud. This Studcast has a little bit of everything in it. A wrestling war that is apparently going to get out of hand compared to other wars, of course. Cards from three wrestling companies, fans having their say in the newspaper, and now a bear is wrestling in the next Studcast. All right, I'm sorry, but we over overextended ourselves. We're not going to have time for a learning tree question today. Imagine that out of time with all that you've heard today. Just one more question for me. So where do we ride on the next stud cast, Ron? Well, Tennessee's man is getting at Bayliner boat finals, man. Uh, it's going to be in round robin fashion with three men all against all. Uh, there's also uh, uh, going to be a, uh, a one-night Southeastern tag team tournament because we've got these two former champions that aren't with us anymore. So we're going to crown new tag champions uh, next week. And in that tournament, I'm going to have a very special partner, and it's not going to be my brother. I'm going to be wrestling with my father. So then the war will be back for the second week in a row. Another fan sent something into the right or wrong the little newspaper article that i talked about this week and a great guy that a uh, great gentleman man that uh, is a, a tremendous historical document guy hmm. he got, has all these things he found for me the second one of these uh, messages that were sent in that little right or wrong newspaper article mm-hmm. sent in from another fan uh, and i'm going to read that one and the next uh, cast uh, what was actually said on one of these uh, from the fans themselves. <laughs> and then we're going to get down south. Man, uh, things obviously are still rocking down there. Uh, the Hulk and Austin, their war's about to begin between the two of them. And we're going to find out how referee Larry Brock <laughs> is going to handle his partner, Jenny the Bear, in the special <laughs> match against Billy Spears, Eddie Sullivan. Yeah, it's one thing to be said about wrestling a bear, but partnering with a bear. I wonder how that's going to go. Listen, I can't help it, but uh, I have to say it again. These studcasts just keep on getting better. I already can't wait for next week. All right, folks on Facebook, you know the deal. Go to Ron Fuller Welch, the Tennessee Stud on Facebook. Like and follow him there to become friends with a living legend. On Twitter, same thing. Find him on Twitter, Ron Fuller Welch, and follow him there too. Check out his website, tnstud.com, for every studcast ever done, including this one, 43 Super Studcast, and the Stud Store, all kinds of souvenirs. Get your personally autographed copy of the novel Brutus right there. The YouTube channel from Ron, Southeastern Rewind is red hot. Closing in on 300 hours of video, the last 82 studcast, 52 stud stories, now 43 short rides with the stud, and five Ask the Stud question and answer shows. Subscribe now on YouTube. It's called Southeastern Rewind. Rewind. YouTube Southeastern Rewind, of course, is the gateway to ClassicContinentalWrestling.com, the stud's tremendous streaming channel. There are now more than 250 hours of classic wrestling entertainment. It's all there. Gulf Coast, Southeastern, Continental, and USA TV shows, all in the order which they were recorded, and that's the way it was meant to be. Classic continentalwrestling.com plus we're not done 19 chapters of ron's audio version of his best-selling lion novel brutus six stars of the sport four superstars of the past and documentaries with something new every day all of this 
$4.99 per month, plus the free one-week trial is still available. That's ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. It is the best deal in wrestling. All right. Any final words, Stud? Well, just to thank you, man, to all our fans out there, as always, uh, for your great support and uh, everything, uh, you know, and, and they support us in everything we do. Pretty amazing, Dave. We have some tremendous fans. And I uh, and, uh, hope uh, all of you come back next week and join us again. Uh, please take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at David Summers Productions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.